Well, good morning. Welcome to East LJ Baptist Church. We are glad you are here. Uh, it's good to see uh, quite a few more this morning. So glad to have you guys join us here in-house. And we want to welcome those also joining us via live stream this morning. We are glad you're here. And if you're visiting with us today, we're so glad you're here. We uh, would probably welcome you normally a little more warmly and up close and personal, but we won't do that today. But know that you are welcome. We're glad you're here, and we want you to know that here at East LJ Baptist, we have been captivated by Christ. We have seen in Jesus Christ and through the gospel the glory of God. And what we've seen in Christ, we cannot unsee. Uh, his grace, God's grace given to us in Jesus, His mercy extended to us for the forgiveness of our sins, being justified, declared righteous before holy God through simple faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, who today is risen and reigning over all things. And He captivates us. And so it's our prayer that your time here together with us or join us by live stream uh, during this time of worship would cause you to see and embrace the beauty of Jesus that we enjoy and that you would find yourself captivated by him before we're done here today. So welcome, welcome. We come to a great and merciful and kind and tender Savior. And so in his name, we welcome you today. A couple of quick announcements before we enter into worship. First of all, this Wednesday will be our monthly uh, prayer time. We're still doing this by Zoom. We look to perhaps by the 1st of October uh, regather and maybe do a combination type thing. Uh, Wednesday evening, 6.30, Zoom crowd to Jesus prayer service. We've been doing this uh, except for maybe the first month or so, uh, every first Wednesday. And so uh, if you'd like to join our prayer time via Zoom, then just uh, contact me. Um, you, can, you can reach out uh, through Connect Cards on our website or on the YouTube channel, um, and we'll get you invited to that. Also, Sunday, September 27th, we're excited looking ahead to the end of September. On Sunday, September the 27th at 4 o'clock, we're going to do a church-wide fellowship and picnic up at Camp Mountaintown. We're hoping this is a way that we can regather in a way that everybody's pretty comfortable with. We'll be outdoors. Uh, you can keep your distance. Uh, nobody will, uh, well, you can, you know, give it the X or put your fist up or something. If somebody runs towards you and hug you and you don't want to be hugged, I'm just teasing, please don't hit anybody. But, um, you know, it'll be a, a fun time. We're going to um, have some food, some singing, um, Lord willing, some testimonies from a couple of our members. So the meat's going to be provided by the church. The deacons or several deacons that have volunteered uh, or are now being volunteered to smoke some meat uh, for you guys that evening. And we'll have the meat. So that means you need to bring drinks, sides, and desserts. Camp Mountain Town will get you directions later. But plan on that Sunday afternoon, September the 27th at 4 o'clock. And then we'll be there till when, whenever. And so we'll do some hymn singing. Um, and again... Maybe you have a testimony you'd like to share, uh, and so get with me. Let me know. We'll, we'll, we'll set you up. We'll, uh, we'd love to hear what the Lord's been doing in your life, how he's worked in your life or your family's life uh, in recent days. So looking forward to a good time of uh, regathering uh, in, in a fellowship way on the 27th. What day is that? September 27th. See, that was a test, and y'all are not used to these because you've been on the couch. And so now you've got to answer those questions, right? September 27th, good deal. Would you stand with me as we read from the Word of God? 
We are going to begin and end with the same passage of Scripture this morning. We're going to go to Luke in the middle, uh, but we'll end up back in these same verses. John chapter 6, Jesus spoke these words, as I'll show you a little bit later on more clearly, after he had fed the 5,000. He spoke these words to, to the people that he had fed in the miracle of the multiplication of the uh, five loaves and two fishes. And here's what he said as we think about coming later on to the Lord's table together. Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the, fathers, the, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Aren't you glad that you know today, if you know the, the Lord Jesus, as most of us in the room do, aren't you glad that you have eaten the bread of life and you can know for certain because you have fed on Christ, you have eaten his body and drank his blood through faith in his finished work on the cross and in his victorious resurrection, aren't you glad that today you, you know you will live forever? And so this is our hope. Not everyone has that hope. You have friends, you have neighbors, you've got co-workers that, that do not have the hope of everlasting life. They've not yet eaten the flesh and drank the blood of Christ. They've not fed their souls on the Savior. And so we want to pray for them. We want to pray for our witness to them. We want to pray for our nation as a whole. And we want to pray for the unreached of the world, those who've not even yet heard. Some of your friends and family and coworkers have heard about Jesus, right? Most people around us and in our county and, and even state and nation, most, a good majority, I would say, have at least heard the name Jesus. But the Rajput Kachawaha people, a Hindu people in India, some 708,000 of them have have no evangelical witness among them. There are no believers there out of 700,000 people. And so we want to pray for them today. Join me as we come together before the Father's throne. Father, thank you for that reality that we as brothers and sisters in Christ gathered in this place, one in heart by your Spirit, are right now entering the throne room of heaven by simply saying, Father... We have presence with you. We are in your presence. You hear us. You are listening to your children's hearts right now. And so, Father, we praise you that you sent the bread of heaven 
to live a perfect life in our place, to go to the cross and die the death we deserved, to be buried and three days later rise in victory to give us salvation and to offer to us and all who would come and eat and drink his saving body and blood as our only hope. Apart from the sacrifice of Christ, there is no salvation. There is only one name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved, even the name of Jesus. And Father, thank you that we know this. We praise you. We glorify you. We don't want that good news to ever become stale in our hearts. Oh God, help us to every day preach the gospel to ourselves and rejoice again that it's true for us. And then to go out into the world and share with our friends and neighbors, family, co-workers. Father, make us bold. Right now, do something in our hearts that changes us so that we don't stay in guilty silence, holding the only good news that can save those that we know who today, like we once were, are under the wrath of an almighty and holy and just God. And, oh, God, raise up from our midst those that would go to the Rajput Kachawaha people of India. Provide a witness from other tribes in the area to, to take Jesus and the gospel in and tell them about him. Father, today we thank you that this same message is the answer for all the problems of our nation. Father, the only thing the only truth that can correct our pride and our prejudice and our materialism, the only thing that can take hate out of our hearts and end the senseless violence and bring peace between us is the saving power of Jesus and the transforming presence and power of his indwelling spirit. Father, we can't fix this mess on our own without individuals coming to, to know Jesus personally. Father, laws won't do it. Different politicians in power won't do it. Father, nothing will fix this but, the heart, uh, but that the heart of man be changed by the only Savior of the world, even Christ himself. And so this is what we pray for. And we pray that in the middle of this mess that, God, you would shine gospel light through us, that we would not join the foolish fray, the power struggles, the talk that does no good, but we would speak peace and hope and truth from Jesus into this dark and hopeless world. Father, you're worthy of that kind of witness from your church in America. Make it so that Jesus may be lifted high. And we know that when he's lifted high, he says he would, he said he would draw all men to himself. Use us, Father, we pray. And right now, come and be pleased in our worship, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Remain standing as we enter into worship in song. It's good to see everybody this morning. Uh, it's good to be back in what we traditionally call the Lord's house get to see each other and then as Chad has taught us many times we are the Lord's house so let's rejoice in that while we sing we're going to sing 10,000 reasons to start with
song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Jesus, a name above every other Jesus, the only one that could ever say, worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you, we live for you.
prayer today there is no one like you father we praise you Lord Jesus there is no one like you and even as we already prayed earlier God open our eyes and wonder amaze us again at your grace Father, we live in unprecedented and desperate times. And for us as your church, Scripture warns that many will find a time, come to a time where the love of their hearts for Jesus grows cold, ceases to exist. It's no longer priority or passion. And so, God, we come desperately because we don't want these days to be those days. We want our eyes opened in wonder. We want to praise and honor you appropriately with our whole lives. We want you to fill our heart with your heart and we want you to lead us in love to those all around us. Showing the world the love that you have shown us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so, Father, by your Spirit and power, we pray that you would do something in our hearts and in this church family that only you can do. Apart from you, we can do nothing. Apart from you, we will do nothing without the movement of your Spirit. And so we Cast ourselves upon you, Father. We wait on you now. We thank you for your precious word. We thank you that it is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. We pray right now, God, that you would by your word both cut and heal, both encourage and correct. Father, both soothe and inflame our hearts for you by your word. We thank you for how you're going to answer this prayer. For you are the God who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or even imagine that you could do. And we look forward with anticipation to your answers to this prayer that we've joined our hearts together to pray in the presence of our Father. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, this morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 8, excuse me, 9. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. 
while you're turning there, one of the uh, probably the most solid theologians and, and Bible scholars of our day, David Wells, says this about the church here, particularly, particularly in the Western world. And he makes this observation that I think is spot on. See what you think. The fundamental problem in the evangelical world today is that God rests too inconsequentially upon the church. That God rests too inconsequentially upon the church. Let me just translate that. That means God is known but has little effect on the church. His truth is too distant. His grace is too ordinary. His judgment is too benign. His gospel too easy and his Christ too common. Now, none of those things are true in and of themselves. God's truth is none of those things. God is none of those things. The point is, that's how we treat God and his truth. When you look at the church, you would never know how powerful his truth is because it's distant from the lives of his people. When you look at the church of Jesus too many times, you'd never know how amazing his grace is because it's become all too ordinary to us. We're no longer amazed. When you look at the church, you would never know that people should tremble in the presence of a holy God because his judgment in the lives and thoughts and speech and activities and behavior of Christians is benign. It's as if it's no big deal. His gospel, it's too easy. We can follow Jesus without ever following Jesus. We talked about that last week, right? We can name the name of Christ, but never obey Jesus. And Jesus said, if you love me, you obey my commandments. So it's an impossibility according to Christ. And yet, this is the church. This is what we see in our, in our world. And Jesus himself He's just common. I mean, we've never not known him. Never not known about him. He's a regular part of our vocabulary, and, and therefore, we're not awed anymore. You know, I pray that our time today and together with Jesus and the Gospel of Luke will do in our hearts something uh, that it will undo much of that all too common, cold, passionless, complacent, distracted, and idolatrous heart if it's found at all in any of our hearts right now. Amen? Is that what you want from this time that we're about to spend in the Word? Amen? I mean, if you don't want it, don't say it. But if you want it, say it. One more time. Is that what you want? Amen. So that means your ears are open, your heart's open to Jesus. And so he's fixing to speak. Are you ready? Jesus again, the title of the message, and it's going to take us a while to get to the title and the main point. I almost didn't even tell you what it was till the very end, which was just be totally backwards and throw you way off, so I thought I'd go ahead and tell you. Jesus is the only eternally saving feast. And the truth I want you to grab hold of is this. Every person can and must feast on the crucified Christ with all of his or her heart in order to be eternally saved and eternally satisfied because Jesus is the only eternally saving feast. Let's jump in to Luke chapter 9, verse 10. It says, on their return. Now, what, what, uh, 
the apostles. What, what is this talking about? Well, remember last week we talked about how Jesus commissioned his 12 disciples and sent them out on a Galilean mission. And they were to go and preach the kingdom. They were to heal diseases. They were to, 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 to cast out demons. And so they went. We don't know how long they were gone, but they went two by two, and they, and they did just that. So here we are upon their return. On their return, Luke 9, verse 10, the apostles told him, Jesus, all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. And so what Mark fills in from what Luke leaves out here about all that was happening in that particular moment. So these 12 guys come back. They start telling Jesus about everything. And then this says Jesus withdraws with them to a place called Bethsaida. Listen to Mark 6, verses 30 to 32 that fills in some gaps. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. Everybody wanted to hear about this this mission they'd been on. And they didn't even have time to get a bite to eat. So it says here in verse 32 of Mark 6, they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. So they were in Capernaum. They took off in a boat, crossed the Sea of Galilee, and got alone on the north shore in a place called Bethsaida. What do we learn from even just this first verse, Luke 9, verse 10? We learn that Jesus here teaches us to have compassion for those who need rest. His 12 came back from serving hard and and perhaps for several weeks in a row. Remember, they didn't take anything with them. They didn't have any of the comforts of home. In fact, they they were to stay wherever they were welcome. They did not have deluxe lodging, most likely. They're worn out. They've been preaching. They've been healing. God's been using them to cast out demons. Jesus teaches us here in Luke 9, verse 10, to have compassion for those who need rest. You know, in the body of Christ, that's that's a real deal, isn't it? There's times in the body of Christ where some of us as, as members of the body of Christ need rest. We need rest for ministry. We've been doing the same ministry for decades, and we need a break. Not because we're not spiritual, but because we're human. Amen? Okay, so there are no humans in the room. Hello? Because we're human. Amen? And Jesus here shows us that, I mean, hey, I mean, let me just tell y'all. If, if the 12 main boys that Jesus hung out with need a, need a break sometimes, you do too. I do too. And Jesus has compassion for those who need rest. Now, we always have that compassion one toward another. The passage continues here and, um, and says uh, in, in verse 11, when the crowds learned it, that is that Jesus and the disciples had withdrawn to Bethsaida, got on a boat, crossed the Sea of Galilee to Bethsaida, they followed him. And then notice this. What was his whole point in going to Bethsaida? We just, I just told you. To get away from people. To let his boys have some rest. To give them a break, get them to where they could kind of eat and, and, and kind of recover from all uh, the ministry they'd been busy about. But notice what it says, and he welcomed them and spoke to them the kingdom of God. This teaches us that while Jesus taught us to have compassion on those who need rest, that's real, that's how we ought to love one another, but there is a greater need, even in the same moment at times, It's probably not often in our lives that these things are going to conflict, but if they ever do, Jesus said, we need to have compassion on those who need truth. 
And sometimes, even though we may need to be taking a break, if we get the opportunity to share gospel truth with somebody, let me tell you what trumps rest, the gospel. Every time. If you've got breath, you can witness. Hello? I don't care how tired you are. You may not need to do a lot of things in the church for a long time. You may need to take a break, but don't you stop giving gospel truth to those who need to hear it. Amen? And Jesus teaches us to have compassion for those who need, need truth. I mean, the whole point was a break. He, it, was a, it was a disciples retreat, right, with Jesus. And here these crowds come, messing that whole thing up. So what does Jesus do? He just stands up and starts talking about the kingdom of God. He starts telling them what he's fixing to do for them with his life, death, and resurrection. And he calls them into the kingdom, extends truth to them. What a Savior. And the verse ends up and cured those who had need of healing, which is the third thing that Jesus teaches us. He teaches us to have compassion for those who need healing. He, he didn't minister just to their eternal spiritual needs, though he did. He took care of their, their physical needs, right? He healed them, it says. He didn't ignore those real physical needs. We've seen him heal people and, 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 and cast out demon-possessed folks. We've, we, you remember the, the woman that he, that he healed without, a, without any word, just, just by a touch, who'd been in torment? Physical torment for 12 years. The woman with a discharge of blood, and she was cured in a moment. Jesus was compassionate toward those who need healing, and so should we be. So should we pray for one another. We've been praying this week for a couple of our own church members. One of them's with us this morning. She wasn't feeling good earlier in the week. Been praying for Sherry Newton for a long, long, long time. And she's feeling much better today. Was able to get a feeding tube this week. And, and that's given her the nourishment that she needs. And Lisa talked to her yesterday or Friday and sounded much stronger than she has in months and months and months. And so we should have compassion for those who need healing. And by the way, we have prayed before Sherry ended up in the nursing home uh, and was when her cancer diagnosis returned just a couple years ago. We've prayed for healing. We do that as a church. We pray for healing. We gather them up here at the front. We gather around them. We pray over them for, according to James 5, for God to heal them supernaturally to intervene, take away things like cancer or whatever it may be. God has not chosen to do that in, in the case that I'm talking about, but we've not failed to pray. Amen, church? And so we should pray. My first wife had cancer. We prayed the first time she had cancer. There was a break. We, uh, when I, and I said we prayed. We asked the elders to pray over her for her healing. We anointed with oil, the whole nine yards. And then the second round, we did the same thing. We believed God could do it if he so cho chose. He did not choose to do that. She passed away in 2010. But, but God is good, and, and we still believe that God heals. We've known people, perhaps you've known people, that God is supernaturally Healed. So we're to have compassion for those who need healing. The text continues. Now the day, verse 12, began to wear away. So, you know, it's getting afternoon sometime. And the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. I mean, there's a lot of people out here, Jesus, and I don't know about you, but I'm getting hungry. So you need to tell these people to go home so they can eat, but I'm, I, this is what I'm thinking. The disciples are really thinking, but so we can eat. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. 
they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. Unless we were to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. Over in John 6, the parallel account, we're told that Philip says even 200 days wages would not have fed this crowd. That was gathered there listening to Jesus teach. Now get the picture. 5,000 men, the text says. Plus women and children. So let's conservatively calculate this crowd. If a man had one wife, we're, we're hoping, and just one child. So one wife and one child, that's a man, a woman, and a child. Y'all with me? If there's 5,000 men, how many people is that all of a sudden? 15,000. Y'all are great in math. That's good. Most of you. Now, that would be pretty conservative because probably among the Jews of Galilee, there would have been more than one child. It's true. Not all might have been married. Not all the men might have been married, so forth and so on. Many would have, could have only had one, but some could have had three. So all of a sudden, a bare minimum of 15, some commentators, uh, John MacArthur, for example, says 25,000 people. Why do we call this the feeding of the 5,000? Because it says 5,000 men. We know there was at least 15, maybe as many as 25,000 people. A lot of way. A lot of people either way, right? So now, now think about what was said. Hey, Jesus. I mean, I mean we've, got, we've got a stadium full of people. You need to send them home. You give them. Something to eat, he says. <laughs> 25,000? 15,000? I mean, hey, after some point, what difference does it make? Whether it's 15 or 25, right? I mean, Jesus looks at you and feed them. You, you 12 feed them. A minimum of 15,000 people, and all they have is five loaves and two fish, which, again, John 6, if you were to flip there, tells us that that was the lunch of a little boy that Andrew... Peter's brother had brought to Jesus. The only food the 12 could see in their immediate vicinity in this crowd of 15 plus thousand people was one boy's bag lunch. And he had two fish, five loaves and two fish. And so, you, you know, have, you ever, have you ever thought that was a weird lunch? I mean, let's just let's talk about that. Let's just get that cleared up so you don't have to think about it anymore the rest of your life. Well, so, so probably what's going on there is it's not loaves like this loaf. It's probably something more like a roll or maybe crackers of some variety. So some, some small piece of bread. And it's probably not, <laughs> uh, you know, um, some fancy serving of fish. It's probably not a raw fish, okay? It's probably something like a salt-cured smoked fish. It's dry. It's not a mess. It's kind of like beef jerky in fish form. You with me? That's likely what we're talking about. Before we read the story of the miracle itself, take note, there are only two miracles recorded in all four Gospels. Only two. That when you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you find those two miracles in all four Gospels. The resurrection... 
We would hope so. Amen? That would make a whole lot of sense because if he's not alive, he's not a savior. And so all the gospel accounts have the resurrection. But the other one is the feeding of the 5,000. So what we're about to read contains some very important truth, apparently, that all four gospels, the Holy Spirit made sure it got into all four gospel accounts. The four men used by the Holy Spirit to write these gospels thought this was important, and there was much to be learned. And let me just say, there's much more to be learned than we're going to unpack today. In verse 14, it says, And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so. By by the way, why would Jesus do that? Why did Jesus have them group up in groups of 50? Why do you think? Did Jesus not know how many people were there? Hello? Hello? Now, he knew exactly how many people. In fact, he, he could have told us the exact number of men, women, and children. I mean, the whole deal. He, he grouped them up in 50, where the disciples, as they started serving like they're fixing to do in a second, could figure out just exactly how many people were there. So that Luke and all the gospel writers could write down 5,000 men and know how many that, that were there. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he, Jesus, looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. The fourth thing I want you to see from this beautiful story is that Jesus teaches us that he will enable us to extend compassion for those who need food or other physical provision. Who did, he, who did he use to get the food to the crowd? He used the 12. Now, there's no question. Jesus, and Jesus alone, is responsible for miraculously multiplying the bread and fish to feed fifteen to 25,000 people. But Jesus then included his disciples in the compassionate feeding of this mass of people. What does that mean for you and me? It means this. Jesus will take our little lunch as we give what we have, and he'll do an epic-sized miracle and put back in our hands more than we can imagine so that we can open our hearts and our hands to the needy all around us with his provision for food and any other kind of physical provision that's needed. God wants to use us that way. Amen? And he can do it. I mean, just, just get the picture. Five loaves, two fish. Jesus just kept creating more fish, more bread, until they were all fed. What kind of Savior does East LJ Baptist Church have? You got one that can make enough to get the job done, even through me and even through you. That's who he is. He created the world out of nothing. He can take five loaves and two fish. I mean, I'm just telling you, everything that that Jesus was taught, that that the the gospel writer is talking about right there, would fit on this one little plate and feed 25,000 people. There's nothing too big for God. But what if the disciples, like some of us, had said, you know what, Jesus, you're crazy. There is no way 
There's no way you can do what you're doing, talking about doing. There's no way. Matter of fact, I'm so convinced there's no way that you can do what you're doing that when you tell me to get up and start carrying food to all these people, huh, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to sit over here and watch. I'm just going to observe the life of the church. Because I'm not really sure God's going to do anything. And so I'm going to remain uninvolved. I've got other stuff to do. You know, I'm busy. <laughs> you ever hear that? You ever want to throw up when you hear that? <laughs> I'm busy. Really? Do you know anybody that's not busy? And so, so, so Jesus, here's the thing. I mean, maybe some of my mother boys, you know, they got more energy, you know, whatever. They're younger. Like, let them, you know, let them handle that. Or, you know, they're older and they're better at it. I, I'm young and I'm, I'm not sure exactly. I've never done this thing before. Maybe they've been around a big feeding before, so I'm going to let the old guys do it. Or What, what would have happened? <laughs> well, the good thing is the 12 were smart enough not to put themselves in that place before the Lord of all things. Because I'm pretty sure they'd have been some kind of come-to-Jesus meeting with Jesus. These 15,000 people, notice what the text says, they were satisfied. They didn't just have a little snack. I want you to get the magnitude of this miracle. They didn't just have a little snack to tie them over till they could get home. They ate until the text says the word there in the ESV is satisfied. The Greek word that is sometimes used to speak of someone gorging themselves. We're not talking about a snack. We're talking about eating until you're done. Till you can't eat no more. How many of y'all know? I mean, I mean, I mean <laughs> yeah, I mean, we just kind of look around. We know we understand about that, right? We can tell just by observation. That's the kind of eating they did. I, I mean, these, these 5,000 men were saying to their wives, Honey, I mean, you ain't never made no fish and bread like this. You need to talk to Jesus and get that recipe because, I mean, I am, I, I, I'm, I've eaten all I can eat of this. It's great. And not only was the whole crowd fully satisfied, Jesus speaks without words to his 12 disciples by making sure that each one of those 12 had a basket of their own left over. Remember what, remember what the disciples basically said? They said, look, you've got to send everybody home because there's, there's way too many people. We're way too far out in the boonies, and, and it's, time, it's getting time to eat. And Jesus said, you feed them. The disciples' response was, Lord, how, how, can, we, how can we feed a crowd like this? Don't you remember all the things you just came back and told me about that God did through you on your Galilean mission when I sent you out two by two? Don't you remember the demons you cast out, the, 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 the sick that you healed? Don't you remember the ones that turned their lives around? They, they, they quit living in sin and, and, and started following Messiah. No. No, boys, you cannot do it. But I can and furthermore, I'll use you to be part of the work. By the way, this wasn't the first time in Scripture that God used a man to miraculously disperse food. If you were to take time later to look back in 2 Kings chapter 4, there's an account where a man was sent to Elisha the prophet who was hanging out with about 100 other prophets. 
And the man had some bread. Again, he just had his lunch with him. Didn't have enough for 100 people. And there in the Old Testament, he begins to break the bread. Elisha uh, begins to break the bread and pray over this scenario, very similar to Jesus here. And all 100 prophets got fed. And go, go look at it. 2 Kings 4, verses 42 to 44, it says, and there were leftovers. Your God doesn't just make enough to get everybody fed and taken care of. He makes enough for there to be leftovers to prove that he's the God who can do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond anything you could ever ask or imagine. And so he gave his disciples a basket of rebuke. Do you understand? Now, on the one hand, it was provision for them. It was for them to eat. But it was also a basket of rebuke, right? What do you mean how are we going to feed all these people? Do you not know who I am? And remember, he had delegated authority to them. They'd been casting out demons. They'd been healing diseases with the authority of the risen Christ. He says the same thing to you and me, to us as a church. Just give me what you have. Make yourself available for me. And I'll handle the rest. I'll do the miracle. I'll supply the power. Jesus teaches us that he will enable us to extend compassion for those who need food, physical provision, and on down the list. But here's the main point that Jesus intended to make by feeding the 5,000. It's what we read at the, the beginning of the service. Hear me. Jesus did not come to just be compassionate to the various needs of our lives, whether for rest, for truth, for healing, or for food. But I want you to stop for just a second and hear me. He did come for those needs. Amen? By the way, Jesus is too liberal for conservatives and too conservative for liberals. You ever begin to see that in Scripture? Just real. He did come to meet those physical needs. He cares about our lives. And we're to show that same kind of compassion to our world. But he came to be the only bread for our eternal salvation and satisfaction. Jesus is the only eternally saving feast. And every person can and must feast on the crucified Christ with all of his or her heart in order to be eternally saved and satisfied. After this miracle... The disciples, the Gospel of John tells us, got in a boat and headed back across the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum. But Jesus wasn't with them. We're not exactly sure where he is. Perhaps he was doing like he often did and, and spending some time in, uh, alone in prayer. Later on, though, Jesus joins them. He takes a walk across the surface of the Sea of Galilee, quite literally, walking on the water to the boat. And he got in the boat, and, we, and the Scripture says that when he got in the boat, as soon as he got in the boat... Immediately, the boat was at Capernaum. When Jesus is, your boat, is in your boat, you get there sooner. So the next day, just get the picture. The next day, from the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus and the 12 are back across the lake in Capernaum. Well, the crowd, that fifteen to 25,000 people that had been there at the big feeding on the, on the hillside, got wind that... Jesus and his 12 had left, and so what'd they do? They found some boats, or they ran. Whichever way, they got across the lake to Capernaum. They went after him. And this is not going to be on the screen because I'm going to read fast. John 6, says, On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only 
that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, listen close, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. I fed your belly. That's why you're coming across the Sea of Galilee to find me. Verse 27, do not work. John 6, verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. The only reason you made this trip Back across the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum, Jesus said, is because you ate the f- your fill of the loaves and the fish. And then he warns them with a warning that we need to hear. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Uh, here's the summary of what that means. Don't fail. Hear me. This is the warning to us. Don't fail to feast on the bread of eternal life. Don't fail to feast on Jesus because you're too busy working for bread, hear me, that rots. Every single thing that we work to have except Christ will one day rot and be consumed in the fires of judgment. It will be destroyed. This world and all of its things are passing away, 1 John says. They're going to be gone. From the money we make, to the houses we build, to the cars we drive, to the stuff we wear, to to the experiences we have. Let me tell you, they're they're all going to disappear one day. Don't fail to feast on the bread of eternal life because you're too busy working for bread that perishes, that rots. You know, they're making food these days with a greater and greater, what do we call it, shelf life, right? There are certain cucumbers. Do y'all know about these? Uh, that if you buy a, the English cucumber, that thing, will, if you put it in the refrigerator, it won't shrivel like a regular old pickling cucumber will. In Israel, as a matter of fact, they're learning how to irrigate and, 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 and water their crops and vegetables with brackish water. There's a little salt in the water they, they uh, irrigate with over there. You know what that means? It means those fruits and vegetables in, in Israel have a longer shelf life. They last longer. But here's the thing. It don't matter. They're still going to rot if you just leave them laying, aren't they? I mean, they got all kinds of bread, and they got all kinds of... It'll all rot. There's nothing that we can create or own that will not perish. Don't fail to feast on the bread of eternal life because you're too busy working for bread that rots. Verse 28 of John 6, Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God. What's God really want you to do? That you believe in him whom he has sent. Jesus is waving at him, looking at him. That'd be him. So they said to him, Then what sign will you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? You've got to be kidding me. 
These are people that just watched Jesus feed 15 to 25,000 people the day before from five loaves and two fish, and they got the gall to look at Jesus. Or they're dumb enough to look at Jesus, whatever, and say, okay, you're saying you're the one that God sent? You're saying the one we need to believe in? Well, what are you going to do to prove who you are? Huh? I mean, if I'd been Jesus, I'd been like, what? I mean, apparently you sleep hard because you've forgotten what happened at the big feeding yesterday. They go on. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. They, they quote scripture to Jesus. See how spiritual this, this, church, this bunch of church people was? They, they start quoting scripture to Jesus. I mean, I mean, here's the bottom line. They had one free meal. They wanted another one. Hello? And, and, and so Jesus, here's the thing. You know, you, know what, you know what God did to prove himself in the Old Testament to us? He gave us manna. Huh. Time to eat again, Jesus. Feed us again, Lord, and we'll believe. Then Jesus said to them, he gave them bread from heaven. And that's exactly how it came. The manna fell. It fell as rain on the ground, the test, Old Testament scripture said. Then Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to Him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him. Wasn't the first time, won't be the last because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. Y'all just settle down. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. Basically what he's saying to these boys is, Here's the thing, you're not going to see who I am because the Father's not drawing you to me and you can't come. How about that? For some words of judgment. And I will raise him up on the last day, the one that the Father draws to me. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who's heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. He says it again. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? He offended them. They thought he was saying they they thought Jesus was saying he had to eat 
They had to eat his, his actual body. Cannibalism. But Jesus' point is this. Every person can and must feast on the crucified Christ with all of his or her heart in order to be eternally saved and satisfied. The Bible tells us this simple truth. That all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that because of our sin, the wages of sin, what does God give us as the payment for our sin? The wages of sin is death. We are all under the, the just and holy wrath of Almighty God apart from Christ. On our own, in our sin, we are under His wrath, and justly so. But the Bible contains this good news. This is what we call the gospel. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That even though the, the wages of sin is death, the free gift, freely given, unprovoked by you and I, by God to humanity, is the gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so while we were still sinners, Christ died. 2,000 years ago, he came. He lived a perfect life in our place. He went to the cross. He died this, the death that we deserved on that tree. He was buried three days dead, and on the third day, he rose again in victory over sin and death. And he lives and he reigns today to give you that gift of being made right with holy God, declared righteous before holy God, having all your sins, past, present, and future, forgiven you, having, being, being made fully accepted in the beloved so that when the Father sees you, he sees you clothed in Jesus. He never sees you without seeing Jesus first in all of his beauty and righteousness. And so Romans tells us this is the good news. And all we have to do is believe in our heart that Christ died for our sins and, 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 and trust him and then confess with our mouth that, mouth that he is risen and, 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 and the reigning Lord, that he is Lord of all. Call on him. Feed our hearts on him, if you will. Put, put our faith, our trust, the trust of our hearts in Jesus. And the Bible says you will be saved. You'll be forgiven. You'll be justified. You'll be redeemed. An enemy is suddenly made not just a friend of God, but a child of the living God. So suddenly an enemy of God can look at God and, and call him Father, Abba, Daddy. This is the gospel. And the only way any of us can ever be made right with God is, is by feasting on the crucified Christ with all of our heart, by simple faith, taking the gift he offers in order to be eternally saved and hear me, eternally satisfied. So today, Jesus is going to give the invitation. He's going to invite you to his table, his feast of grace through the bread and the cup. We're still in John 6, verse 53. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus speaking to you this morning. This is his invitation to this Lord's Supper. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Now what we're going to do in a few minutes is simply eat a cracker and drink some grape juice. 
By the way, when you get these little packets, don't let the top fool you. It says the Miracle Meal. That's the brand of this little gizmo we were able to purchase for sanitary communion this morning. There's no miracle that happens in the bread and, and, and the juice. The miracle happens when we feast on Christ with our hearts. He saves us forever. And he becomes our satisfaction, hear me, forever. Nobody and no thing has ever or ever will satisfy you forever except Jesus. Pray with me as we prepare to come to the table. Father, thank you for the beauty of the bread of life given to us in Jesus. Thank you that Jesus, your body is true food and your blood is true drink. Which is to say that apart from your death on the cross, your burial, your resurrection, there is no salvation. And so we come to celebrate that now as your people, as the people of God at this table. This is a table for believers. Search our hearts, prepare our hearts. We think about the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 where he told us that whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Paul exhorted us to examine ourselves and then, uh, and, and then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And that's why at the church in Corinth they're playing games at this table. They were coming in sincerely. They were coming with with known sin and unrepented of sin in their lives. And the text says in 1 Corinthians eleven thirty 30, that many of them were weak and ill and some have died. God had judged his people by casting them on the bed of sickness or t- simply taking them out of this world so that they would not be an affront to his glory. And so, Father, search our hearts. Help us to come to this table in sincerity. We are not worthy of what Christ has done, but when it says unworthy manner, it means in a way that reflects the beauty and the worth of who Jesus is and what he's done. So, God, that means we need to come like children, clinging only to Jesus. That means we need to come sincerely, turning away from sin, and in this moment, confessing it and repenting of it, calling it what you call it. And asking you to rescue us from its power and control in our lives right now. And then coming, having experienced your fresh grace and forgiveness. Lord, your grace never ends. You've given us the gift of repentance that we can, in this moment, turn from sin and turn back to Jesus. And and come commune with him through the bread and the cup. So may that be how we celebrate your grace even in these moments. Search us, Father. You know us inside and out. Purify us. May we come with no other trust or reliance on anything in ourselves. God, may we come fully convinced that we could never, ever do enough to earn our salvation. Convinced that our righteousness, anything we've done serving Jesus as is, is as filthy rags when compared with the saving work of Jesus. All glory and honor be to Christ during this time, we ask. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so this is new to me, just like it's new to you, so here we go. Y'all ready? All right, so here's what we've got. Let me, let me, let me give you some instructions, because there's a little combination to these things. So...
when you get this, here's what we're fixing to come up, and we're going to all get one and go back to our seats, okay? Just kind of keep your distance as you're coming up. In groups, come up, grab one of these things, go back to your seat. When you get back to your seat, we're going to partake together. So it's going to be a little different, okay? So let's start moving. Betsy, if you'll just lead off, we'll, we'll work from that side of the room. Just come back, come through and get one. And as, as they're coming, uh, Joe, give me just one more second. Um, as you come, the, the band's going to lead us in worship so you can begin to worship and prepare. But on this little cup, here's the instructions. There are two flaps. On the very top is the bread. So you want to separate the clear from the, the silver, okay? You want to open the, the clear first and get the bread out. You don't want to open the juice first and spill it while you're trying to get the bread out. Y'all with me? Clear first, silver second, okay? All right, I think y'all can do this. Kids, if you need help, make, let your mom and daddy help you with that. And y'all just follow on up and, and serve yourselves. When everybody's been served, I'll come back up and lead us in, in partaking of the table. There is a gluten-free bread in this um, plate, on this plate right here. That's as sanitary as we could make the gluten-free option. That is there if any of you need that. Praise the Lord. I'm glad I, I 
I'm afraid I'm going to be able to get the cup open there. All right, we're good. Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 said that he received from the Lord Jesus what he also delivered to the church at Corinth and what he delivers in all of his letters to us. That is the gospel. And he says he learned from the Lord Jesus that on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus said in our text for today, my body is true food, food even unto everlasting life. Amen? Amen. Paul goes on to say that in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus said, my blood is true drink. By eating the flesh of Christ and drinking the blood of Christ, not in the form of a cracker and grape juice, but with our hearts feeding on him. We have eternal life. We eat unto eternal life. Do this, Jesus said, as you drink it in remembrance of me. Paul wraps it up by saying, For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What we just did basically says to everybody in this room, there's one way to God. There's one Savior. His name is Jesus, and it was through his broken body and shed blood, and him alone, that we can be made right with God. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, it's been a while. It's good to commune together with our Lord this morning, amen, in person, together, one in the body, one in the spirit of the living Christ. And we proclaim the Lord's death. And, and you know what? We're going to keep doing it till he comes. Here at East, East LJ, if you're visiting us today, we do it once a month. Lord willing. And so we celebrate Jesus, the only eternally saving feast. Every person can and must. And I pray, if you're seeing, viewing us this by live stream this morning, if you're in the room and, 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 and you're not a believer, you didn't come to partake because you've not yet trusted Christ, I, believe that, I, I pray that right now you would feast your soul on the crucified and risen Christ, that you might be eternally saved and forever satisfied in Him. Let's pray together. Father, we worship you. And we praise you for the beauty and the glory of the gospel. We exalt Christ, the only eternally saving face. Jesus, you are our life. Spirit of God, apply this message just as we each need it in the, in the, in the, in the house of God, among the people of God. But Father, how we pray that if any under the sound of my voice this morning 
has yet to trust Jesus as Savior, that this moment would be the day of their salvation, that right now they would feast their souls on him and be saved. Dismiss us in your love. Use us as instruments of your compassion. And may all of our service to others, our, our, our working for justice and, and righteousness and, and, and love in this world, all of our meeting of physical and, 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 and other needs as we preach the gospel, Father, may it be driven by satisfied souls, hearts that are full and overflowing because we have feasted on Jesus. We ask it all for his glory. We ask it in his precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're dismissed here, and we'll sign off from the live stream now. Uh, Y'all have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday, 11 o'clock.